0: Welcome to Faith Seeking Understanding, I'm John Green and I'm your host. Uh, It's been a nice week in western North Carolina, got a lot done, had a couple of good hikes, enjoyed being out in the woods. The weather has turned crisp. It was lower than 40 degrees this morning when we got up, so we had a, a really nice weekend, it looks like, getting ready to come on. Had a friend who was supposed to spend the weekend with us and our prayers are with Elaine, she was with us yesterday, spent the night. We had a wonderful late afternoon walk in the woods and then um, dinner together and hung out until about 11.30 last night talking and then got up this morning and she's got a health thing that she has to actually go back home. She was planning a longer trip and ended up having to go back home. So keep Elaine in your prayers, please. Um, what else is going on? Let's see. The, the great thing for me, at least, is college football is back. So I'm a huge college football fan. Um, So I'm looking forward to um, watching today, actually, going to watch some games, and and it's great. There's there's sort of a normalcy thing going on, and then, poof, suddenly the president and the first lady and several other people around them have COVID uh, as of yesterday. And so just when it felt like we were moving towards some sort of normalcy, boom, here we go. Watched the presidential debate on Tuesday night, and I really honestly wish that I had not done that. I felt like I was under spiritual attack because of that. It was one of the worst spectacles I've ever witnessed in my life. So I won't watch if there's another one. I don't want any part of it. I don't know what it was, but it was a really rough night. and It's not normal for me at all to have things like that happen. But I mean, physically, emotionally, and otherwise, that was just really a mess. Because of that, um, so I've been in prayer a lot this week because of that. it was just very very strange. Um, nothing terribly exciting going on this week, so had a good week at work. I had some really great conversation with people in the work that I do at Amazon. Had some great conversation with customers. It's it's always interesting to see how God can use nearly anything you do. his glory and so just sitting there answering the phone doing customer service for Amazon you wouldn't believe how often I get opportunities to pray with people it's mostly just sort of being aware and giving that day to God giving everything you do every encounter you have to him and you never know what he'll do so it's exciting whenever it happens so I had some wonderful conversations this week very uplifting for me um, and hope for them as well it's really strange one of the conversations included Customer getting ready to tell me something and said, John, I have no idea why I'm telling you this. It's a very painful thing in her life. I mean, really, really painful. One of the worst things you could imagine. Um, interpersonal kind of thing. Betrayal by a spouse. She said, I have no idea why I'm getting ready to tell you this, but I feel like I'm supposed to. And she told me this. And began to talk and I said, well, I'll tell you, I think I know why. God had you tell that random Amazon guy, something. And so was able to speak into it and provide some comfort and prayer together over the phone. So be aware that every encounter you have could be a possibility for you to speak into somebody else's life. But earlier that same day, I had somebody else tell me what's been going on in their lives and what they were saying spoke directly into my life. And so it's a give and take. And that's the way life's supposed to be. So it's been an interesting week and a really great week from that perspective. It always excites me when God's got opportunities for me in odd places to be able to speak comfort and bring uh, some healing, bring Jesus into situations for people. So so be aware, always be ready. Be prepared. God will give you the words to say when it's time. You can't be prepared for the specifics because you don't know where it's going to come from. But know that God's used pain in your own life and will use the pain in your own life to bring healing and hope into other people's lives. So let him do it. So anyway, it's just been interesting. So looking at this week's lessons, um, it's odd, to say the least, Um, because there's a connection with what I just said being a pastor for a long time and then going in and doing the Amazon thing and God's still using that Amazon thing to do it. And and so when I read the epistle lesson for this week, I, I hear Paul, it's Philippians 3, 3 to 14, he begins with saying, we are the circumcision who worship by the spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. For Paul to write to a group of Gentiles and say we are the circumcision is one of the most extraordinary things you'll ever see in your life. Because Paul, as he's going to tell over the next little bit, I, I have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, and as to righteousness under the law, blameless all had what he thought was all he ticked all the boxes ticked them off well to be in the covenant to get into heaven to do all that kind of stuff to participate in the life to come is probably a better way to say it than to get into heaven it's to participate in the life to come you needed to tick all those boxes you needed to be in the tribe in the covenant circumcised and also pursuing righteousness and driving out what you think is heresy. And Paul is all those things, he says. But he began with, we are the circumcision. And he's speaking to people who were none of the above in most cases. And then he comes to the real point, right? He says, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ Indeed, I count everything as lost because the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. I grieved for a while. It was my choice to step down from the church, but, but I grieved that for a long time, feeling that I had lost something that was very important, very dear, something that I had believed God had called me to, and then something that I worked very hard for to get ordained, to finish seminary, to do all that stuff that I said no to for so long. And so to lose that and to start answering phone calls for Amazon, especially after all I had done prior to even going to seminary, I was an expert witness. I was an expert in fraud related matters business valuations. I had everything. And then I went to seminary because I Counted everything as lost for the sake of Christ. I gave up that thing that I made good money doing in order to go to seminary, and so I thought that I had renounced the important thing in my life. That for the sake of Christ, and then the further renunciation of of the role in ministry to not know what I was going to do, and then to to start taking phone calls for Amazon was was a big blow. In my life, it was a huge thing to do that. I really felt like my, my ministry life was over and it, it was, it's, it's been difficult, but at the same time, almost immediately after I started working there, God started using that as an opportunity to, to minister to more people than I ministered to when I was actually pastoring a church. It's been an interesting ride. And so when Paul here says, I counted everything as lost for the sake of Christ, sometimes that means everything, literally, that Paul had thought was important in life had to be renounced. I I thought ministry was really important. My identity was wrapped up in ministry. To suddenly lose that, to walk away and say, I'm done, I need a break very badly, it it was easy to put ministry or whatever in front of Jesus himself, so sometimes our identity is actually the biggest problem we have, even if, and maybe particularly if, we're in ministry. So Paul says, No, I had to lay down all that stuff in order to gain something. The surpassing worth of knowing. Christ Jesus as my Lord, that is infinitely more valuable than anything I could have attained on my own, he says, or anything I have attained on my own. He says, for his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count all those things as rubbish in order that I may be gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and they share his sufferings being like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. Paul absolutely, prior to that, as a Pharisee, believed in the resurrection of the dead, and he believed that as a Pharisee, as circumcised on the eighth day, a Hebrew of Hebrews, a tribe of Benjamin, a righteousness according to the law, he had already attained the resurrection the way he stood understood it. But now he says I'm trying by any means possible in Christ to attain the resurrection of the dead and he's pressing on, he says, to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Forgetting what lies behind, straining to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. When I read this, I think about the conversation that Jesus has with Nicodemus in John 3. When Nicodemus comes to Jesus, the Pharisees have seen some things. He comes and announces himself and says, Teacher, we know that you're a teacher come from God because of the things you do. And then Jesus spins this whole thing around and starts talking to him about being born again. And Nicodemus is absolutely, utterly confused how that can happen when a man is old. He doesn't understand it. He won the lottery by having all the things Paul talks about here. He won the lottery by being born into the covenant family. He didn't want to be born again. When, if you want to know exactly what it looks like to be born again, read Philippians three, three to fourteen. That's what it looks like. It looks like a man who has renounced everything that he thought he knew because the Holy Spirit fell on him and it pointed to Jesus. When Paul's on the road to Damascus that day, he he struck blind, struck down. He hears a voice from heaven and says, Paul, Paul, why do you kick against the goats? And he says, who is it? And the voice comes from heaven and it says, I am Jesus Paul was a man fully converted. He recognized his own need to be born again because his eyes had betrayed him. What he thought he saw was heresy. What he actually saw was Messiah and the kingdom of God. And after that, Paul never looked back. He was a man fully converted. Peter sometimes would waffle right into who he was with. Paul never did. Paul preached one message, Jesus Christ and him crucified, resurrected from the dead, ascended to the Father, coming again to judge the living and the dead, whoever he preached that message to. And whatever it meant for him to preach it, no matter how much persecution came at him, Paul was a man fully converted. He had had an encounter with the living God, the living Christ. He'd heard the voice from heaven and everything changed. Paul that day nothing else mattered except Jesus first time in history a voice had come from heaven than anyone other than God the Father I am Jesus he knew Jesus was alive he had indeed been resurrected from the dead and sat at the right hand of the Father he knew that with all his being And that's all that ever mattered again to Paul. Do we know at that level? Are we converted at that level? Here's the way to think about how Paul was converted at that level. He was converted at that level in the same way the Jews had been converted at that level, but at the same time, the way the Jews were converted at that level left a little bit of room for doubt. It left them vulnerable in some ways. Let me explain that. So in Exodus 20, verses 1 to 20, that's the giving of the Ten Commandments, right? So the mountain, remember, is smoking, and quaking, the sounds of the trumpet are sounding in the background. Those are shofars, they're not metal trumpets, these are shofars sounding in the background. They've been told not to come near the mountain. Moses has told them to stay away from it. Don't touch it. Don't come near it lest you die. And then a voice comes heard by all of Israel, which separates their claim from every other claim on earth. It's the only mass revelation where maybe 2 million people, because it's 600,000 men, Maybe a couple million people hear God proclaim the law. Beginning with, I am the Lord your God. Oh, thank goodness. I think. Because otherwise, I don't know what's going to happen. I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. You'll have no other gods before me. You betcha. You betcha. You got my attention. You, you defeated all the gods of Egypt. You defeated Pharaoh. You are now in this awesome place, and we're afraid. No, nope, we won't have any other gods before you. You shall make, not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything in heaven above or in the earth beneath or that's in the water under the earth. Don't bow down to them or serve them. I am the Lord your God. I'm a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. Don't take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that's in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. There's the the commandments of man, covenant man, covenant woman vis-a-vis God who gives this covenant, who's making the covenant with them. If you want to remain in covenant with me, revere me. Worship me. Have no other gods before me. Don't make images and idols and bow down to them and worship them. Not supposed to have any image of him because he has an image and it's you. Don't take the name of your Lord, your God in vain. Remember the Sabbath day. Do according to what he did. He made things in six days and then took that seventh day off. You built or made in his image, do likewise. Be like God, but make sure you understand you're not God. So set him apart. Make him holy. And then the next one, honor your father and mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Why would that be? Well, because in some ways they are little gods to you. They took part with him in your creation so you're to honor them don't be wishing all the time that you had different parents that your life were different God created you in this way through these people for a reason sometimes that's painful sometimes that's a very difficult thing but we're supposed to honor our mother and father because God used them to bring our lives and to be without them we're not here and then he begins to give the other commandments. The commandments we have vis-a-vis other men and women, mothers and fathers, are sort of in the in-between space. And now, not murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't bear false witness against your neighbor, don't covet your neighbor's house, his wife, his male servant, his female servant, his ox, his donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. You know, I don't care how well you do with murder, but murder I mean, I care how well you do. But it, you cannot murder. You cannot commit adultery. You cannot steal. You cannot bear false witness. But I, I challenge you on your ability to not covet. That's a very difficult thing. In fact, it's an impossible thing to do covet. You want. Maybe not what my neighbor has, but I'd like to have one just like it. And then... It says, when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled. They stood far off and said to Moses, you speak to us and we'll listen, but don't let God speak to us lest we die. And then Moses said, don't fear. God has come near to test you. That the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. You know him to be an awesome and mighty God. You know him to be a fearsome God. And he's, he's come near and he's shown you this thing about himself. He's shown you a revelation somewhat of who he is and what he is in this smoking mountain, the trumpets, the fire, the thunder, all the lightning, all that. He said he's come near to test you that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. In other words, remember this. Remember it well and And the people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. It's an odd statement. God was in a thick darkness. And Moses went into that thick darkness in order to be where God was. And when I said there's a problem with this, here's the problem. We're going to see it actually next week. Here's the problem where where this comes in. So the way that people understood Jesus, they would come near to him. They would challenge him. They would do all the things that people did to Moses. From time to time, they would think great things about him. And then other times, they would challenge his leadership and his authority. And they would question him. If he was all that, if he was who he said he was. As Nicodemus said, teacher, we know you're a teacher come from God. Or master, we know that you're a teacher come from God. Well, but it wasn't just because of what Jesus had been teaching, it was what Nicodemus says it's what we see as well. But then the people who had seen those things and heard the teaching would also question him. There was nothing fearsome or fearful about Jesus. There's one group of people who reacted in the way that the Israelites react, though, in Jesus' ministry. That group of people were the garrisons. Jesus goes across the Sea of Galilee, and there he encounters a man that's demon-possessed, right, in the tombs, who's cutting himself. They chained him, but he broke the chains. He was possessed by so many um, demons that, that they didn't each name themselves. They, they gave a collective noun for their name, which is legion. We're so many, we can't even name it all. But then we're working together is what that means. It's not we're separate. demons working separate jobs. No, we're legion. And Jesus drives them out into the herd of pigs. And then what's the reaction? to people from the land, the Gadarenes, the garrisons, whichever way you want to have it. The reaction is fear. They've seen this great power, the power that they couldn't contain, the power that could not be contained. And then they've seen Jesus just speak to it and deal with it, and destroy their livelihood because he destroyed the pigs, right? So so he, this man now is sitting in his right mind because of an encounter with Jesus, and the people of the land of Gadarenes are afraid, and they beg Jesus to leave. That's the kind of fear that this is. They feared Jesus in a way. The people who watched him every day of his life and heard him speak didn't have fear of him. And they weren't to. They were intended to come to him. All ye who are weary and heavy laden. All those to whom he spoke in the uh, Sermon on the Mount. Those who mourn. Those who try to make peace. Those who are hungry, persecuted, thirsting for righteousness. The intention was for those to come to him. This gentle shepherd. But in the beginning, this covenant is between a, a, an awesome and powerful God and his people. And what happens is they, they are so afraid that they beg Moses to go and speak to God because otherwise they're afraid God's going to destroy them. So they see this intermediary between themselves and God, and, and they begin to think of Moses in a different way. at least sometimes... At least at this point, they're thinking of Moses in a different way, and they're afraid of Moses, too. It's the reason he has to hide his face when he has to veil it, when he's been with God, because that holiness reflection scares them. So they're afraid at some level of Moses, and they're seeing Moses as a different kind of being, one who can enter the presence of the living, fearsome God, And yet survive. And you'll see a little bit of the outworking of that next week. I'm just trying to lay a little groundwork for next week. But, But you see it right here. You speak to us and we'll listen. But don't let God speak to us lest we die. And then the people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. And so there's this fear there that's that's engendered by him going into the presence of the living God who they believe if he even speaks to them they'll die but that fear didn't last the fear of Moses didn't last the fear of God didn't last they grumble against both Moses and God multiple times in those wilderness times and they sin grievously against him on multiple occasions but then we go to the gospel for today. Jesus tells a parable. There's a master of a house who planted a vineyard. Listen to all this man does. He planted a vineyard. He put a fence around it. He dug a wine press in it. He built a tower. and He leased it to tenants. And then he went into another country. When the season for fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the tenants to get his fruit. So the way this, this relationship worked was the rent was payable in produce, So he gets a portion of that. But look, he'd done all the work. He planted it, built a fence around it, dug a wine press, built a tower, leased it to tenants, and went into another country. He did all the work. All they had to do was tend it. He gave them a garden. All they had to do was tend it. And all they had to do was take care of what he had already done. And the tenants, though, took his servants and beat one, killed another, and stoned another. Then he sent other servants, more than the. And they did the same to them. And finally, he sent his son to them, saying, They'll respect my son. But when they saw it, they said to themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and have his inheritance. And what that's basically saying is, is, is that, that because he sent, because this one has come, what we can assume is that he wouldn't surely have sent his son if he were still alive after we had done what we had done to the servants. So let us kill him. And have his inheritance means they don't think there's anybody left. Because they couldn't imagine that after all they had done to the servants he had sent, that if he were still alive, surely the master wouldn't send his son. They took him and they threw him out of the vineyard and they killed him. When therefore the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? And the people said to him, he will put those wretches to a miserable death and let out the vineyards, to other tenants who will give him the fruits in their seasons. And that's a well done. I mean, Jesus couldn't have led them to the conclusion any more clearly, could he? I mean, there's no option left for what the Master will do at that time. It's like when Nathan tells David the parable of the little ewe lamb that the rich man took from the poor man. And it's a parable about David taking Uriah's wife Bathsheba to be his own and having Uriah killed in battle. And David reacts with what should happen to this man when he should be killed. And Nathan looks at him and says, you're the man. So here Jesus tells a parable very similar to that. People know immediately what ought to be done with those wicked tenants who were given everything and refused to give to the owner what he was due. And Jesus said to them, Have you never read the scriptures? The stone the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it's marvelous in our eyes. Have you not heard that? And he says, Therefore I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people, producing its fruits. Just like David with Nathan. You're the man. That's what Jesus says. Kingdom's going to be taken away from you. So what he's saying is, is that Paul, you got it right. That other stuff won't get you the kingdom. Circumcision, Israel, Benjamin, Hebrews, Pharisee, under the law, persecuted the church. Not going to get you what you want. It's been taken away from those people. It's going to be given to a people who will provide and produce fruit and give it to the one who owns the vineyard. Got a question. How are we doing with that? I look at America and I think we're a 10-talent church. We had everything in the world. We've given everything and then some that we needed to succeed. And where are we today? Are we still preaching the gospel or have we given up on the gospel and we're preaching other stuff? Have we given up on believing the word of God is true? Have we given up on believing Jesus is the only way? Do we preach the exclusivity of Christ? In the same way Paul preached the exclusivity of Christ or do churches frequently question that? There are many ways to heaven. No, there's not. Paul knew it. Jesus knew it. The fear of the living God needs to be upon us to restrain us from sin. But greater than that is the Holy Spirit living within us guiding us not just away from sin but into righteousness. Righteousness. but that's the testimony of Jesus. If if the spirit within you doesn't bear witness to the fact that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by him, then that's not the Holy Spirit. You have another spirit. It's the spirit of the world, the spirit of of a demonic source. Because if it denies Jesus, then we're done. And remember what God said way back when he said, don't bow down to idols. He said he's a jealous God. And he talks about hating him. But those who hate him, the iniquity of the fathers will be punished to the third and the fourth generation. What does it mean to hate God? It means to deny his son. It means to turn away from Jesus renounce him. You don't have to say I renounce him. You can renounce him with your life. Does your life tell the story. That God wanted to tell. In the ten commandments. The story of a people. Created in his image. Who also bear his likeness. In all that they do. By being a different sort of people. Have we become too much like the world. Have we preached too much of the world. As John MacArthur said. If you're having your best life. Now, what that says is you're going to spend eternity in hell. We need to be more like Paul. We need to press on to the upward prize. Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Is that the most important thing in your life? Or have you lost the fear of God because of delay in something in your life? delay in his coming delay in the fulfillment of his promise what is it that's become that thing that's your identity that's apart from Christ it may have him as part of it but he has to be your identity not any of the other things Paul says it's got to be Jesus the challenge to you this week is to allow him to show you what it is that has become more important to you than him, even serving him, as I said, can be more important. He doesn't want it to be, not because he doesn't like you, but because he loves you. He wants to give you more of himself. But in order to get more of him, there's got to be less of other stuff. And the more there's that's true, the more we'll be the people producing fruit, the people who receive the kingdom from him hope you have a blessed week. I hope that the Lord does reveal these things to you and I hope that you have the grace and the strength to lay those things down, lay them aside and allow him to give you more of himself that you might be more like him in every way. This is Faith Seeking Understanding. I'm John Green. I'm your host. If you want to interact with anything that's been said or need prayer requests or anything else, then you can go to facebook.com slash faithandunderstanding. And you can leave messages or interact there with the message today. I hope you do indeed have a blessed week. In the name of Jesus, amen.